every time I go around telling people that this we're doing this kind of advocacy, the first thing that they say is like, oh, so you're pushing your curriculum into the schools. And to be clear, like NGPF, which is the, organ- the nonprofit organization where I've been working since 2018, does have a curriculum. It is available for free. Anybody can look at the lessons, the curriculum, the units, all of the materials for free at NGPF.org. Go to curriculum. They have middle school curriculum and high school curriculum, and it's all free. Hey, this is Allison, and welcome to the Inspire Budget Podcast, where we talk all things budgeting, debt, and saving money. Today, we have Janelle Espinal joining us. She is a Brooklyn-born ball of energy with an intimate knowledge of financial education, culture, and politics in America. Known on the internet as Miss Be Helpful, she's a millennial financial educator who started her career as a teacher, just like me, and now serves as the Director of Educational Outreach at NextGen Personal Finance. She is currently on a political roller coaster ride across the country, convincing lawmakers to make personal finance a high school graduation requirement. I know Janelle in person. She is incredible, and I think you're going to love today's episode with her. Let's dive in. Welcome, Janelle, to the Inspire Budget Podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. I'm so happy to be back. It's so nice to chat with you, Allison. Yes. So you were actually on podcast episode 28, where we talked about how you changed your mindset around money. But now we're going to be talking about how you actually became really involved in advocating for financial literacy in schools. So I want to know, I want to hear your story. When did you realize that this was a passion for you? And then Mm -hmm. what do you actually do to help advocate for kids, really? Yeah, that's really what it is. Yes. It's the next generation. So we talked about my personal debt story when we first chatted. And and that ultimately was kind of the North Star that like led me to become so passionate about personal finance because I saw firsthand the difference that it made in my life to learn about money and how it works. And I wish that I had learned it sooner. And as I just started going out into the real world and like talking to more people, everybody says it. Every adult that I've ever met has said at some point, like, I wish that they had taught me about money in school before. I wish I understood taxes. I wish they taught us about, you know, loans and interest rates. And I wish I understood that investing and how it works. Every generation is just going to continue to say it. Like, at what point are we going to cut that out and have the next generation say, mm-hmm. I'm so glad I got that class about mm-hmm. money, about taxes, about investing. That led me to kind of shift my work to financial education. In 2018 was when I kind of made that pivot and I started focusing on nonprofit work, which is like curriculum and offering teachers training. So I actually do mm-hmm. certification courses that I facilitate and the teachers sign up and take it. This was all great. It's all free through a nonprofit that I work with called NGPF. However, about two years ago, we actually decided to pivot and create a new organization, affiliated organization, which is also nonprofit called the Mission 2030 Fund. And that organization it does specifically advocacy work. So that means that we go to lawmakers like re- representatives and senators and we sit before them and we say, hey, have you seen the latest data around the effectiveness of financial literacy education? Have you seen the stats around the need? Have you seen the poll results around parents and students wanting and demanding financial education. Seems like we've got the perfect formula here to make it happen. What do, what do we need? You know, what do you need to get it done? And so once you find a champion, a senator or a representative who is passionate about education, maybe they're a member of the education committee, maybe they used to be in education, for whatever reason, they decide to author the bill, to push it through, champion it. Essentially, what their job is going to be is to actually get as many people to support from the Department of Mm -hmm. Education, from the teachers union, from the superintendent's board, from 
all over, right? From from the Bankers League, from the credit union folks, everybody, small business owners to come together and agree that this law should be passed and to get everybody to vote yes and to get everyone to support it. So it takes a lot of convincing and, and phone calls and meetings and explaining, you know, what the bill language means and all getting on the same page about how it's going to get done. And that's a, a lot of work, but it's it's honestly very rewarding because once you get to people to see your points and to come over onto your side, it's just like we're all doing something that's kind of like common sense, which is getting everybody more financial literacy education. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, do you have a lot of pushback from these people that you're trying to convince? And if so, what is their reasoning for the pushback? Because to me, it just seems like you said, it's like a no brainer. Hello, yes. we want to teach our kids about yes. all these important things well, money's a really important thing. So let's do that. So where is the pushback usually? I'm just curious. I get that question a lot. It's like, well, why would anybody say no to financial education? And the thing is, nobody says no to financial education. People say no to the way that it's going to be implemented and to the mm-hmm. impact that it could potentially have, which is sometimes unintended. So for example, if you think about the school day in a, in a typical high school, it's usually going to be about 8 a.m. to 2.30 or 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And you already have so many requirements that have to happen in that time. So now Mm -hmm. if you're going to add a new requirement that didn't exist before, you either need to make the school day longer so that that class can be added to the school day, or you need to take something out Mm -hmm. to replace it, right? This is just how it works. Now, if you make the school day longer, the teachers union is not going to be happy. The teachers aren't going to be happy about that. They signed a contract. Students aren't going to be happy about that. Parents aren't going to be happy about that. Nobody wants that, right? So that's not going to work. So now it means that usually you're trying to see where you're going fit it into the schedule, which means you're going to have to usually pull something out. Now, let's say you pull something out. This is not happening right now, but I'm just going to give an example. Let's say we take out arts classes like visual arts, performing arts, dance. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the art teachers and the dance teachers mm-hmm. and the students who are passionate about art and dance to say, why are you removing that class? Why are you taking that away from us? We love mm-hmm. this. We need extracurriculars. So now there's kind of a battle there. Okay, well, let's say we're not going to touch that. Let's say we lower the amount of foreign language credits that we take. Now you got all the foreign language teachers saying, wait, what? The students need a foreign language. There's research that shows foreign language matters. So Mm -hmm. as you can see, it's not that people are going to say no to financial education. Mm -hmm. It's that they're going to be interested in what are the puzzle pieces that need to be put together perfectly in place so that everyone is happy with the way things are going to change in order to make room for a full semester requirement of personal finance in high school. Has any state or any county been successful and come together with that? And and if so, I mean, I know this is very nuanced, but can you give us like an overview of how they were able to find that success. Mostly not because I expect every single listener to go and march on this or anything, but even just being aware and saying, hey, this is an this is an opportunity to have, or it's an option, it's happening yeah. other places. Maybe I should care about it too. So I'm just curious, like Definitely. just yes. like this overview of how did mm-hmm. they make it work? Because I see the issue. I oh, see yeah. the issue of not wanting to take it away. And everyone thinks that different things are important. So how do you come to an agreement? That's exactly right. Everyone thinks that the issue that they care about the most is the Mm -hmm. most important issue. And so now you've got lawmakers who have to sit down and prioritize these things. And again, Mm -hmm. like I, listen, I think lawmakers have a really hard job. I mean, I didn't run for office. I became a teacher and I know teaching is very hard, but being a lawmaker is also hard because you have all these constituents coming to you with all of these different issues that they care about and that are all important. And your job is to work with other lawmakers to prioritize them, which means Mm -hmm. it's tricky because you're going to say some 
are more important than others. And then that kind of get heated. But I will mm -hmm. say, so in, in my book, I talk about my work, which was with the state of Florida. I moved to Florida in 2021. And immediately I realized there was an opportunity to get involved there with the legislative work because in 2019, there had been a law that was trying to, there was a bill that was trying to become a law that was pushing for a financial literacy class to be required for every student in Florida. Mm -hmm. High school students? High school students. So school when I'm students. talking about okay. students, yeah, when I'm talking about these laws, I specifically mean grades nine through 12. So like okay. high school age students. What happened with Florida was that in 2019, there was a law that got passed. It was called the Financial Literacy Act. And it was named after Dorothy Huckel, who was a lawmaker in Florida who had championed financial literacy for many, many years before passing away, sadly. And what happened there was that when it passed, the language of the bill this is kind of where we get into like the legal side, right? The right. Very specific, but the language in that was written into the bill changed, right? Because it goes through all mm. of these different th processes. It goes to different committees and it goes to different yeah. people. And it goes back to the other side of the other side of the chamber. So th there are some amendments and changes that happen along the way. By the end, the bill that actually got passed and signed into law didn't actually make it a requirement for every student to take and pass the class. What it did was it said every single school in the state of Florida must is required to offer, offer. a personal finance class mm. to students. That bill got signed. Everyone's clapping, celebrating. Woohoo, Florida did it. We required financial literacy. Technically, they did require that schools offer it, but they didn't mm. require that every student must take it before they cross the graduation stage. So I saw that and we kind of what we did was we went to the Florida Department of Education and we said, can you show us some of the data from before the law and after the law? And that's there was very clear data that before the law was passed, there were a lot of students getting financial literacy because it was embedded into an economics class. Mm. So at least half the year they were getting personal finance and the other half economics. But because it got pulled out and became an elective that just had to be offered less students were getting access to personal finance as a result. Now, that was yeah. an unintended result, but still right. the data data is data. So we went to the lawmakers with that data and all the lawmakers in Florida said, uh oh, that was not the intention. That's not what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So they looked at all of the data and said, OK, let's make a change here. The easiest way to go in Florida specifically was to look at the electives because Florida had the highest number of elective credits that are needed for graduation of all 50 states. In order to graduate, you needed eight elective credits. Really? Every, yeah, every other state, it was like six or 6.5 or seven credits of electives. Mm -hmm. But Florida, for some reason, was eight. We looked at that and said, okay, let's take this to the lawmakers mm -hmm. and let's tell them that they have the highest in the nation. And if they just mm -hmm. drop that by 0 0.5 years, which is one credit, one uh, semester, mm -hmm. that or half a, credit, half of a year, a semester class, that we could then say, we're going to lower the electives to 7.5 credits required. Mm -hmm. And now the 0 0.5 credit that used to be an elective will now be a required personal finance course. So that's what happened in Florida. The bill got signed, HB 1054. I was at the bill signing. It was a very big success. And after Florida... What do you know? Iowa, Georgia, Michigan, mm. Kansas, New Hampshire, West Virginia, Indiana, all have passed since then. So we've gone from eight states to 19 states in early 2023. That's incredible. Do you have a goal? Do you have a goal for all 50 states? Yeah. So actually, the organization's name that 
was created in 2022, like to do all of this work, or sorry, 2021 when I started this work, is called Mission 2030 Fund, because the year 2030 is when we want to be able to say all 50 states now have this. It's the year 2030. So it's like we kind of just like put a stake in the ground and say, if we keep doing this work and we go state by state by state from now, 2023, in the next seven years, we can get from 19 to all 50. It's a big, ambitious goal, but like that's that's the goal. That's what we're working towards. Yeah. You know what you need to look for, right? You've seen the success and you're like, okay, here's the pattern we have to follow. People yes. will try to mess it up. There exactly. will be different things that happen, but this is kind of the path we will follow to get there. I that's love that. Right. Today's episode is brought to you by my budget to build wealth. Here's the truth. I do not believe, actually, I refuse to believe that wealth is just for the rich. I believe that wealth can be built on a budget without sacrificing what you love to spend money on. I fully believe that budgeting is the quickest, most effective way for you to reach your money goals. So whether your goal is to stop living paycheck to paycheck, pay off those student loans that have been hanging over your head, or find room in your budget every single month so that way you can start investing for your future, you're going to need a guide, a plan to get yourself there, which is exactly what I'm sharing in my free training, Budget to Build Wealth. In this training, I'm gonna be sharing three massive mistakes that people make with their budget and their financial plan, so that way you can avoid them. I'm gonna be sharing with you the secret to freeing up more money in your budget each month, so that way you can send extra money to your goals. And I'm going to be sharing with you my tried and true four-step framework to budgeting your way to wealth without giving up what you love. Plus, there is a very special free gift for anyone who stays until the end. You can sign up by going to inspiredbudget.com slash class, or just click the link in my show notes. You'll be able to choose a time that works for your schedule, and I'll see you there. I'm curious because, you know, I used to be a teacher and I have children who will yeah. be going into high school eventually one day. And I'm wondering, do you have any hand on what the concepts are required to teach? And I'm curious, what is it that they are required to talk on? Is it just like budgeting and saving money? Do we talk about investing? How much can a high schooler actually handle, whether yeah. they are 14 versus 18 in that semester time to actually retain the information? Because, you know, it's one thing to just spew it at them. They memorize it for a test. It's another thing for them to actually say, okay, I've learned this. Let me take it forward with me. Right. That's a great point and, a, and an excellent question because it kind of looks different in every state. And that's mm -hmm. the thing about education. Like in our country, education is not one of these federal level issues that like the federal government can just say like, this is what every state has to do because mm -hmm. some issues are federal issues that everyone has to do it that way. Education is a state issue. So that means it's local control issue, which means every single state gets to determine when they pass mm -hmm. their, their law, what's going to get taught in that course. So for example, you might see like, Right now in the state of Georgia, Georgia passed SB 220, which is the, the financial literacy requirement for, for a full semester, which could be either a math class or a social studies class or an elective. So they gave okay. a lot of flexibility for students to fit it into their graduation requirements. Uh, they could count towards nice. math credit, towards social studies or towards an elective. Right. But here's the thing about Georgia's standards. It's one of the only states. It actually, I think, currently is the only state where the financial literacy law that got passed mentions cryptocurrency. <gasps> yeah. Wow. All the other states. 
If you look at the laws, so HB 1054 in Florida does not mention digital currencies. It says banking, credit, investing, insurance, real estate investing. It, it mentions all of the basic core concepts around money. And most states do. They say banking, budgeting, investing, taxes, mm -hmm. insurance, paying for college, all of these things that like generally speaking, we could call those like the pillars of personal finance, like the basic big topics. But in Georgia, the law says cryptocurrency mm -hmm. has to be taught as well. And so that brings in this next piece of, well, the teachers themselves need to, if they don't understand this, how can they be expected mm -hmm. to teach it? So on top of like being very clear about the topics in the law, like or mm -hmm. assigning it to the Department of Education or the Board of Ed of that state and saying, by this date, at this time, the Board of Ed or the Department of Ed must publish the specific topics that are going to be taught in this class. Like the law mm -hmm. can't say that so that the law doesn't right. the lawmakers don't get to decide it. The education professionals do. But they're they're being told when they have to do that by in in Georgia, the law specifically listed it. And in other states, it, it might not. The important thing is that there has to be some way where it's addressed, either in the law or or an assignment to the mm -hmm. DOE to do it. The, the second piece is that there has to be some clarity around teacher training. Like there has mm -hmm. to be a piece involving what, how can, <laughs> can the you, teachers get their training that they need to Can teach you it? imagine like any teacher teaching this? Like if, if they're not even aware, I mean, it's one thing. And yes. a lot of times teachers are given some sort of resource, which means that this is the time for different right. education companies and textbook companies to step up and create some sort of curriculum for it that right. the schools can purchase and districts can purchase and all of that. But it's very exciting, but also a little scary oh, to yes. say who is going to be teaching this and what is the spin? What is the biased view that children are going to have, especially when it comes to things that we as adults might not know much about mm. because they are so brand new. So it's like that. scary, but exciting. And I'm yeah. kind of like, I yeah, want to yeah. be the one to part of me. I I've always thought like if I ever went back to teaching, I would go back as a high school teacher and teach like a personal finance class because I'm like, I think that would be fun. Dang. But yeah, wow, that's so fascinating. It, no, it, it is. And one thing I'll tell you is that's the trick about this work. Every time I go around telling people that this we're doing this kind of advocacy, the first thing that they say is like, oh, so you're pushing your curriculum into the schools. And to be clear, no. like NGPF, which is the, organ the nonprofit organization where I've been working since 2018, does have a curriculum. It is available for free. Anybody can look at the lessons, the curriculum, the units, all of the materials for free at ngpf.org. Go to curriculum. They have middle school curriculum and high school curriculum, and it's all free. In the legislative work that we're doing, so when I'm talking to lawmakers, when I'm talking to education leaders, I'm not there with NGPF. I'm there with the Mission mm -hmm. 2030 Fund, which is advocating for financial literacy education. Now, we may say... Don't worry, because the laws, they don't need to include like a budget. Like they don't need to include a lot of money here because there's really no need to buy like textbooks. For example, mm -hmm. if you buy a financial literacy textbook and it includes the 1040 EZ for tax forms, right? The moment the 2019 legislation passed for tax changes, the 1040 EZ was gone. There's no such mm -hmm. thing as a 1040 EZ yeah. form. So now all those textbooks that were printed and paid for are outdated and incorrect. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to stuff like money, which the constantly regulations, legislation is changing every day, technology comes out, buy now, pay later, cash app, Venmo, mm -hmm. all these things, trading platforms that didn't exist two to five years ago. This is changing so fast that it has to be online based. So mm -hmm. our curriculum is all online. It's all free. And we never, ever ever included in any of the legislation mm -hmm. that like if you look at the bills which yeah. i encourage people to go look at the bills that have passed they don't prescribe what curriculum 
The right. person who gets to decide the curriculum is at the school level, the teachers, mm -hmm. the principal. They get to decide what curriculum they're going to use to teach as long as it hits all of the standards and all of the topics mm -hmm. listed in the bill or listed by the DOE. And the key that you said, which I love, is the bias. The, the curriculum at NGPF, and one of the reasons why I love the work I've been doing with them, is that the goal is to stay unbiased in mm -hmm. every single topic. So when we teach cryptocurrency, we're not evangelizing for cryptocurrency. We're right. also not trying to tell people to stay away from cryptocurrency. We're just teaching what is cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. helping them explore this so they can decide for themselves whether mm -hmm. they want to do it or not. Same thing with credit. You're not, as a teacher, it's not your job to tell students, go get a credit card, go get good credit. It's also not your job to tell students, stay away from credit. Don't ever mm -hmm. have credit. That's not your job. Your job is to teach them what is credit, what are the benefits? What mm -hmm. are the drawbacks? Why does a person, would a person find themselves in a situation where they might need it? What happens if a person never has credit? You're just exploring the topic mm -hmm. of credit and then letting them use their critical thinking skills to make a decision about whether they want to use that in their financial life or not. Yeah. And it's also like, I think a lot of times when we think about what our kids are learning at in school, we think, oh my gosh, it's like a parent telling them. But it's not mm -hmm. like I can have a very biased opinion. My, right. I'm going to be very biased whenever I talk to my children about money because it's my right. It's my job. I am an influential person in yep. their life. And I'm trying and you to have influence your values. them. You exactly. have your values that you want to instill in them at home. Yeah, exactly. So I will do my best to instill those values in them. And if they say that's not a value for me and they're adults, okay, I cannot do anything about that. But when it comes to teachers, it's very different because yes. we cannot instill those types of values, especially in the public education That's right. so, system. Right. So, wow, that. it's so incredible. I do have one final question for you. I just want to know what are some of the most common financial challenges that you are seeing, seeing mm -hmm. young people like teenagers facing today? And then what do you think that obviously the schools, but also parents can do to help them overcome that before we that. release them into this big world. Yes. What are the challenges they're facing? What can we do in the schools and as parents to help get them through that? I love this because I actually dedicated the whole second chapter of my book to this topic. <gasps> and I, that's why this is like perfect. So I think what happens is a lot of times we teach students the things that they need to learn, memorize, know, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't actually teach them before you even get to the knowledge, like the mental things that they need to understand mm -hmm. are happening in their minds before they even hit the knowledge. So yeah. in chapter two of my book, it's called like, it's all about getting your mind right. And the focus there is about understanding that you as a person, you may think that you are in full control of the decisions that you make with your money, but most of the time, almost all of the time, you're not. And the mm. reason why is because you have these cognitive biases. That means that your brain shoots into automatic mode and doing things a certain way because of the psychology that we have developed. And the way that we look at things and assign value or not assign value to them in society as they relate to money. So, for example, if you walk down a window display and you see there's a Gucci shirt or a Fendi purse, it's going to catch your attention. Mm -hmm. You you can't trust your brain in those instances. Like you have to really ask yourself, are you finding this Fendi purse to be pretty or is it just that your brain is doing what it would do if it were like addicted to things because when you mm -hmm. look at name brand things or anything that like is perceived to be cool your brain is... responds in the same way as if you were snorting cocaine or winning at gambling mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people don't hit. Get... yes 
it's literally like as if you were on a high of drugs or gambling. So what I do in, in the chapter is focus on what does the research say? And this is what I think the answer to your question is that we should be doing in schools and parents should be doing at home is focusing on the psychological piece. What does the data show that your brain is doing? And what can you do to like check yourself, do a double take and like interrupt, <laughs> interrupt yeah. your brain and prevent it from doing the thing it would automatically do just because it's in autopilot mode and not thinking really about what it's doing with money. So I go through a bunch of different behavioral science and behavioral economics examples of ways that people's brains trick them and how you can mm -hmm. use that to your advantage. So I talk about one where like there was a conference and a bunch of the attendees were asked like next week when you come back for the part two of the conference, there's going to be bananas and there's going to be chocolates in the snack area. Which, next week when you come back, will you pick bananas as a snack or chocolate? Almost everybody, like the majority of them said that they were going to pick bananas. Because, okay. you know, they wanted to be healthy. They wanted to, right. you know, these, they were like, oh, we're at a conference, you know, we're going to go with the healthy option. The following week when they came back, they actually recorded how many people said they were going to pick bananas and how many said chocolate and how many did it. The majority of them picked chocolate as a snack. Mm -hmm. They left the bananas right there and just walked by them and grabbed <laughs> chocolate. So, and that's one of the biases that I wrote about in chapter two of my book, which is like, you are going to think that in the future, you will always do the right thing. You're always perfect mm. in the future. Like, I'm going to save more when oh, I get yeah. a raise. I'm going to increase my retirement contributions when I get my bonus check. I'm going to do this and that. I'm, go I'm always perfect in the future. But the reality is what you're not doing now, right now, today it's not magically going to start happening tomorrow. You have to start doing it now mm -hmm. so that tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you've already started doing it and it's now happening. So yeah. it's like this battle between like our, our current present self and our future self that we think now I'm not doing it, but don't worry, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm mm -hmm. always going to do it tomorrow. So I think when we teach students about behavioral economics, the psychology of money, these biases, these tactics being used by advertising companies and marketing mm -hmm. agents to trick our brains, then we teach them to really mind their money. Like my, that's why my book is called Mind Your Money because it's like it's this combination between the money that you, the stuff that you do with money and the money skills you need to know, but also it's being taking tapping into the power of your brain so that it works mm -hmm. with you and for you and not against you when it comes to your money. Oh my gosh, I love that. Okay, so when is your book out? My book comes out May 30th, 2023. Mind Your Money is insightful stories and strategies to help you reach your hashtag money goals. I love it. Okay. And we'll link to the book down below because this episode will be out by then. Janelle, this was incredible. If this Thank is just you. like a taste, just like a preview of what is in your book, then I think people are going to love it because it was fascinating. Now, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guests a couple of questions so we can get to know you outside of all of the amazing work that you're doing with money. Yes, so do don't, don't think too hard about them. The first question is, what's one thing you're looking forward to? I'm looking forward to having some free time over the summer this summer with my parents one of the things that they've been doing for the past few years is just like getting themselves established as like being officially retired mm -hmm. and we finally got into a groove where they can spend half the year in Dominican Republic with their families where they were born and raised and the other half here in the states and like in New York with their kids and our family and so this summer they're going to be coming back from DR spending some time with us I kind of like actually miss them they've been in DR for a while now I'm going to be with my mom and dad this summer and I'll have my book published. So I think they'll actually be able to hold the copy in their hand and yes. like, I'll get to see them be proud of me. Oh, that's wonderful. The second question is what's one money mistake you've made that you would tell everybody to avoid? 
Ooh, this one's easy. Co-signing a loan for someone else. Girl, you I did got, it. I did it when I was in my early 20s. I didn't know any better. And a good friend of mine, her little sister, was not able to go mm. back to college because they had like, you know, her financial aid had her uh, account like paused because they hadn't paid for the next semester. So she couldn't even register for classes. Mm. And so family, they all tried and they all could, didn't get the credit to qualify to co-sign. They asked me to co-sign this loan for her. I think I was my it was my first year teaching. And so I went ahead and co-signed this loan because I didn't realize that I wasn't just vouching for her. I was actually accepting the debt mm -hmm. as my own in the event that she didn't pay. So know that co-signing is not like like authorized user status where you can just take it away or like right. it's not less vouching for someone like you are mm -hmm. literally taking on that debt as if it were yours in the event that that person doesn't pay you are fully mm -hmm. responsible for paying it messed up my credit I had to end up paying a couple hundred dollars like I just every month for a few months because she wasn't paying and finally eventually I recommended to her that she do a uh, loan consolidation mm -hmm. and she put all her loans with one company which eventually wipes me off of her loan so thank Good. goodness it worked out but doubt I was ooh, I would never recommend anybody to co to co-sign any loans for any did they use those words did they say Janelle will you co-sign this they you know what it is I don't even think any of us knew that language at that mm -hmm. time we were all yeah. just like we didn't I know wouldn't. so I think what they said was like can you add your name so that she can um. get so she can go back to college which is like mm -hmm. they attach it to something that's so emotional like, of course yes. we want to go back to college like we want to see our people succeed like I was like if I can help in any way mm -hmm. like I'll do it I didn't know anything about money at that time. So mm -hmm. I would, if I could go back in time, I would say, I'm so sorry, honey. Like me, I can't do it. Your mom and dad can't do it. Maybe you just need to get another type of loan or take a semester off and work and come back and pay. Like, but me, I am not going to take on debt for mm -hmm. you to reach your goals. It, I would not do it. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad that you got that all figured out and that oh, yes. you were me able too, to get that kind of off of you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the last one is, just finish this sentence, my favorite thing I've ever spent money on is? Oh my gosh, this is hard. A massage, a massage. <gasps> I oh. will I will spend how I look, if I am if I have been exercising, doing everything right, running around and all this stuff, and like I have that tension in my body. And I'm also just like a very energetic person. I use my body, mm -hmm. my hands a lot when I'm talking. Like I get that tension in me. If I go get a full body deep tissue massage, I will spend money on it because it's so worth it. I feel 10 years younger. Instant oh. I'm like, oh, all the stress is gone. And like, girl, massage. I will, I've spent like $300 on a one hour deep tissue full body massage. And that's that a amazing. lot of money, but mm -hmm. I'll do it again because it was worth it. <laughs> you know, I have a massage gift card that I got for Christmas that I haven't used. Girl, I know. Or and to me, I know. Right. <laughs> and it's to me, it's like, oh, it's the time. I'm like, oh, I need to just book. I need to just go. But when am I going to go? And I'm like, no, Allison, just do it. Do it, girl. Because it's, it's worth it. It's self-care. It really is self-care. Mm -hmm. And what I find that when I'm getting a massage, my mind is like off. It's mm. fully present because I'm really feeling like where they're right. really massaging, where they're working, where they're nudging. And for me, that means my brain is off. It's kind of like meditating, but you get a physical relief at mm -hmm. the same time as you get the mental relief. So it's like a double win. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I will link to your brand new book, Mind Your Money, in the show notes. If you're listening, be sure to grab it because it sounds like it's amazing. I know I'm going to go ahead you. and get my own copy. Yes, too. I'm sending you a copy, of course. Oh, of wonderful. Course. Thank okay, you. bye. Thank you for joining us. I hope this episode inspired you. I hope it inspired you to really want there to be change in our school system when it comes to how we are teaching our kids about money and what they're going to be learning because I know that it has such a massive impact on their future life. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating or review. I read every single review that I get. Yes, even the bad ones. And it means the world to me whenever I can read what you're thinking about the Inspire Budget Podcast, especially if you're loving it. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. See you then.